Welcome to the Q Podcast Show, where we discuss ideas, innovations, and thought leadership in frontier areas such as AI, machine learning, and finance. This podcast is the first part from the Machine Learning and Finance Guest Lecture. In today's session, we are joined by Dr. Matthew Dixon from the Illinois Institute of Technology in a discussion on deep learning and equity portfolio modeling. This lab session shall demonstrate how deep learning can be used to model equity factors commonly used in asset management. The emphasis shall be on interpretability, the ability of deep learning to capture nonlinearities, and understanding the differences between linear models. Now on to Sri Krishnamurthy, the host of the show. Welcome everyone to the sixth summer school lecture series. Uh, and today we are fortunate to have uh, Dr. Matthew Dixon, Dr. Igor Halperin, and Dr. Paul Bilokin, uh, three stalwarts in the area of quantitative finance. And I'm very excited about their new book, Machine Learning in Finance from Theory to Practice. So uh, the, uh, a few months ago, when Matthew reached out to me saying that they're coming up with this new book and they sent me an early version of the copy, I actually spent a whole weekend just kind of you know, going through the various chapters and I was fascinated with the depth and uh, the breadth of coverage of various topics. Uh, as most of you know, I'm a big enthusiast in machine learning and finance, and this was this was amazing to kind of see uh, such a rigorous effort to put together a compendium of current use cases and the state-of-the-art techniques in quantitative finance and machine learning and bring it to the world. And uh, as all of you know, Matthew, Paul, and Igor are practitioners and academics, so it's kind of a pleasure to have all of them kind of come together and put in this amazing thoughts and um, you know put together this amazing piece of work. So welcome, Paul. Welcome, uh, Matthew, and welcome, Igor, for this uh, uh, summer school series. And uh, we are excited to have you uh, in today's uh, guest lecture. So for people who are joining us for the first time and who don't know anything about Quant University, Quant University started out as an analytics advisory in 2013. And we primarily focused on the intersection of data science, machine learning, and quantitative finance. And most of our work has been in the B2B space. We work with regulators, we work with asset management companies, credit trading companies. Uh, we come from various perspectives. Sometimes we go in and do technology due diligence. Sometimes we go in and help you know, clean up some of the infrastructure related issues when you're productionizing machine learning and data science algorithms. But we also come in as uh, you know, experts in various areas and specific uh, topics and we help our clients work on various issues. And, as the field of machine learning grew, there was a gap in terms of uh, professional education for the workforce wherein people had the domain expertise, but they were looking for uh, ways in which they could uh, bridge that gap between what was actually happening in the technology world from machine learning, data science, and all the cool things which the Silicon Valley was coming up with and uh, actual applicability for financial use cases. So we came in and we started putting together programs in the last year or so, we have been expanding our programs from a B2B space to a B2C space, and we are offering various uh, programs, uh, both in Boston, New York, San Francisco, uh, and also various uh, parts of uh, the world. And uh, since COVID-19, uh, we have gone online, and uh, I'm fascinated to see the engagement amongst all the uh, audiences from various parts of the world. And I'm very pleased to have you all join us for today's session. And um, for the next two hours, we're going to have three lectures. Uh, we'll primarily focus on the whole um, uh, 
aspects about you know the, the expertise uh, Matthew, Igor, and Paul bring to the table. You now one will be on deep learning and equity portfolio modeling, which Matthew will lead the session, and then Igor will lead a session on reinforcement learning, and then Paul will lead a session on stochastic filtering and MCMC in finance. So uh, if you're interested in joining us for future sessions, uh, please uh, look out for additional details at qsummerschool.splashthat.com. We will be sharing these slides. If you have registered, we will be sharing those slides uh, and the video of the event um, uh, after the session. And uh, we also have an autumn school coming up. You know, we are excited to partner with Premier and we are gonna be offering a FinTech bootcamp which is gonna be looking at the eight facets of FinTech after COVID-19. And we are gonna continue offering some of the programs we've been offering in summer and some new programming will be, um, will be announced in a, in a little bit. So if you're interested in any of the uh, specific offerings, you can go to qfintech.splashthat.com. Okay, so without further ado, I would like to introduce our uh, uh, eminent speakers for today. Uh, so Matthew, uh, so I must uh, relay that Matthew and I, we met many, many years ago at a conference where we were uh, you know, speaking at uh, the same event and we had briefly discussed some ideas. And I'm so glad that this whole thing came together, Matthew. Uh, I kind of still remember we meeting in San Francisco and discussing various ideas. And last year, um, uh, we were at the, the blockchain analytics event uh, in North Carolina. And uh, we had done some research on uh, QTrack, which was our way of, you know, uh, using blockchain as a way of uh, tracking models, machine learning models. And it was great to, you know, meet with co-researchers you know, working on various areas in blockchain. Um, and I, uh, again, had a chance to meet with Matthew. And Matthew have, has deep expertise in uh, mathematics, and he's a professor at IIT. And uh, he's also a practitioner, and he has worked on various initiatives. And uh, I'm so glad to uh, kind of see all the all the innovative work you're doing, Matthew. And uh, he's uh, put together a fun lab for all of us, and I'll be sharing some details uh, at the end of uh, uh, today's session on how you can access it through the Q Academy. Uh, Igor, I think uh, Igor, we probably met in um, New York at a conference like probably four or five years ago. But I've been tracking Igor's research, uh, you know, the intersection of uh, machine learning, reinforcement learning. And uh, Igor also has a very popular course on Coursera. And I uh, was very, very keen on, you know, all the key things he was, uh, you know, discussing in his book. And uh, when I looked at your slide deck, Igor, I, I felt like, you know, you should probably have your own three-hour session uh, just to kind of, you know, get into to get to all the details. So I'm very, very uh, pleased to have you. Uh, Paul, uh, I think uh, briefly we exchanged some emails, Paul, but... Uh, you know, Saeed, uh, who's going to be one of the speakers later in fall. So we had, uh, I heard about Thalesians many, many years ago in my MathWorks days. This was, uh, you know, early in like 2011, 2012 timeframe. And I think uh, uh, at that point, uh, the foundation was being uh, laid for the whole framework. But I'm kind of fascinated to see how you have expanded the whole, uh, you know, the educational and the research footprint uh, throughout the world. And uh, I hear a lot of my quant friends and, uh, my quant community folks who come down to your events, and uh, uh, it's so glad I'm so glad to kind of you know see all the various research and uh, the presentations you have been putting together, and uh, they have some amazing programming and also a lot of consultancy work they do. And uh, Paul is also a professor at uh, Imperial College, and uh, he teaches uh, various aspects there. And we're pleased to have you again, Paul. Um, so uh, without further ado, uh, I will kind of hand the stage and. 
for just one last announcement, next week we're going to do a session uh, primarily focusing on productionizing machine learning. So this summer school, we have focused on two main themes, machine learning and finance, but also the whole notion of productionizing machine learning and modern risk management. And uh, we're going to take an industry perspective and we're going to have uh, Stu from MathWorks come down and talk about some of the tooling uh, they're going to be presenting. And the context here is uh, we actually had to integrate with MATLAB, uh, the Q sandbox for a regulator. And we did some work in the last few weeks and we're going to present portions of that work on how we are able to basically integrate various components, both from an open source perspective and from an enterprise perspective. And that how do we you know, uh, audit these models and how do we report these models? And uh, we'll have a, a fun discussion uh, next week. Okay, so that's all I had. So uh, Matthew, I'm gonna hand over the stage to you and uh, I'm gonna be making you the host. So uh, the stage is yours, Matthew. I'm gonna stop sharing my screen. Thank you, Shri. And you should um, hopefully see a slide in front of you now that says deep learning and equity portfolio modeling. Yeah, we do see it. Thank you. Okay, great. Um, so thanks very much. And thanks all of you for joining um, in these uh, uh, unprecedented times. Uh, and uh, I'm going to speak for about 30 minutes and then hand over to Igor. Uh, and finally, we'll, we'll hear from Paul. Now, there is a, a repository here at the bottom, which is not um, in the Q sandbox. Uh, I will be mentioning the Q sandbox. Uh, this is more of a sort of quasi lab than a, than a full on lab. There will be a pre recorded uh, lab that you'll be able to access uh, shortly um, that um, in the coming days uh, that will have um, some uh, guided uh, discussion around some of the notebooks. So I will be referring to some notebooks that are in the Q sandbox in this session uh, and they come from uh, chapter five in, in, in the book, Machine Learning and Finance. Uh, and some of this work will appear in the Siam Journal of Financial Mathematics, uh, a joint work with Nick Paulson uh, at University of Chicago. So what we're gonna see is in fact, um, part of chapter one of the book and chapter one or part one of the book is really dealing with cross-sectional models that appear in finance. And one of those uh, key areas is equity factor modeling. It's kind of the bread and butter of, of asset management. If, and if you're a computer scientist, I think it's very interesting to learn more about these. If you're uh, a seasoned quant, we'll go into the details of deep fundamental, uh, how you formulate these models, look at the results. And in particular, we're gonna put an emphasis on interpretability. And you know, the, the message so far has been that neural networks are not interpretable. And we're gonna show that there's in fact a, a rich algebraic structure, uh, which lends itself to uh, interpretability. And then we'll look briefly at interaction effects. Uh, and then I'll hand over to Igor, who's going to talk more about reinforcement learning. Uh, and then uh, because what we're doing when we put machine learning in finance is we don't have a clean slate. We have to think about the existing models, the existing frameworks, and we have to build into those. Some of that works, some of it doesn't work very well, but it's not uh, enough to bulldoze it. And Paul's going to talk a lot about things that have worked very well. Uh, in much more mathematical detail than Igor and I. So the book um, is, is out. And um, as I mentioned, there'll be a one hour pre-recorded session. 
And um, there'll also be some additional resources at the end of this presentation uh, if you're interested. But I will, as I said, be referring to some of the Q sandbox notes. Uh, and, uh, and if you jump in um, and you have the book already, uh, you can open chapter five uh, and you'll see many similar concepts and you might like to read chapter four first. Um, you can skip two and three uh, and I, re I recommend reading chapter one. So read chapter one, then read chapter four. Uh, and then move on to five uh, would be the best uh, set of uh, reading material uh, for, for this session. Now, the model that we're going to consider uh, is fairly well established, and it's called the, the Barrow Fundamental Factor Model, developed by uh, Professor uh, Barrow, um, who's unfortunately um, uh, being discredited, uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, the model itself is, is the main a mainstay within the industry. Uh, MSCI Barra, for example, uh, produced such a model. And the idea is that there is inputs and there are outputs. Uh, and this is purely a cross-sectional model. And each period, there is, a, a tr there is fitting between inputs, which happen to be uh, fundamental factor exposures, and then a set of outputs, which are a vector of n uh, uh, returns, asset returns. In fact, they're what are called excess returns. They're returns uh, against an index. And the unknowns here are the factor realizations, the, the F of T here. So there are K um, factors or fundamental factor exposures for each observation at each time point. And at each observation, there is a corresponding asset return or an excess asset return. Uh, in this case, it will be monthly, but it sometimes is quarterly return. And there is, of course, an error. And in typical models, this, is, of course, is a linear model here. You could fit this model with a linear regression. Uh, the idea is to, is to, in fact, do that and to make an assumption about the error. And how you decide uh, the error properties really uh, differentiates the different models. You could assume, for example, without getting into statistics here, that the model error is homoscedastic. That means that it doesn't depend upon <clears throat> the, uh, the asset itself. So, so for each period, we're going to see a model being fit, and then we throw that model away, and then we start again in the next period. So it's purely cross-sectional. You could argue, why isn't it panel data? And that's not the way that it's done. Uh, it typically uh, is done as a sequence of cross-sectional models, each model being independent. Okay. Uh, and what we want to do here is we want to actually make nonlinearity a first-class citizen rather than as an add-on in the linear framework, which is how it's currently done. And there are many advantages to doing that, which I'll get to in a moment. But the idea is we want to, in fact, find an, a map between these factor exposures, the B of T, and the asset returns or the excess returns. And there'll be some error distribution that we don't necessarily know and we're not going to make any assumptions about other than it's IID, okay? So everything here is IID. That's why we're dealing with cross-sectional data. There is no time series component, even though you see the subscript T. Uh, that's purely to indicate that this is, at time T, it's a cross-sectional problem. Now, let's leave that aside for the moment, and let's consider now how we can learn that map F. Now, there are various different types of neural network architectures. There are probably 50, if not more. And each one of them corresponds to a particular statistical uh, methodology, often a nonlinear generalization. 
of that statistical technique. So in the top left, you'll see feed forward with inputs being yellow, hidden variables being green and red being the outputs. You'll see what's called an autoencoder on the top, the top center there, which essentially is a form of what's called principal component analysis, only using projection and is nonlinear. And that's essentially a way of compressing data, projecting down onto a small number of uh, variables indicated by the number of green um, circles there. Then there, of course, there's convolution, which can handle different time scales in the data. So you might have data which is, uh, say, high frequency intraday versus, say, daily. Then the convolution is very good at multi-scale modeling of the data. It corresponds roughly to wavelets. And then there are a whole host of other techniques which we're not going to see in this talk, but are covered in the book uh, around uh, time series modeling and extending various different types of time series technique, in some cases to non-stationary data, where the data is the properties of the data are changing over time, which is very important for finance. So in supervised learning, we're going to learn the map between a set of inputs, we'll call that in the general sense X, uh, and we're gonna learn, and we know the outputs since it's supervised learning, of course, and we have a set of P, uh, what are called features, or they're often known as, as covariates in the finance literature. Um, we have a lot of fun sort of mixing various parlance between the machine learning and the finance world. Uh, and so you may hear me say covariates, you may hear me say uh, independent variables, you may hear me say features. And interestingly enough, uh, if you turn off the activation in a neural network, and I'm assuming here that people are you know, familiar with neural networks and deep networks, there's a lot of material about that. But if you turn off the activation in a feedforward network, which is what we're going to use, you have a linear model. We can see that quite simply. This is a two-layer model. Each layer is an affine transformation. So it's a Wx plus b, uh, a, a, a weighted uh, multiplication plus an intercept. And then there is a sequence of these affine transformations. And of course, a, a composition of affine functions is itself going to give us, in this case, an affine function. So in fact, we have an affine transformation. There's nothing non-linear if you turn off the activation. Uh, so that's actually very helpful because when you're trying to adopt these models in finance, what you're trying to do is you're trying to show how they compare against linear models, which are the, the standard. It's a little bit like taking a, a, a petrol engine car and then running a, a hybrid vehicle alongside it. You can understand the added advantage or efficiency of having that battery, yet you still have many of the features of the existing old model. And it makes it much easier to make that transition towards, if you like, the full electric car. So it's very helpful to be able to switch off the nonlinearity and see the results. And it should be consistent with what is currently done in practice. And then you just turn on the activation and you get all the nonlinearity of a neural network. And that helps you find bugs, sanitize the code, overcomes many of the obstacles which stop deep learning being adopted in, in many uh, asset management firms. If you go to most asset management firms, they are not using deep learning uh, and, and it's still very new territory. And the reason is because a lot of money at stake and a lot of people don't have the skills uh, it, with a combination of finance and computer science and math. It's a very unusual combination. So what we're gonna use here is a key insight that because when you turn the nonlinear the, the activation off, it's just linear regression. And actually, if you think about what uh, coefficients are in linear regression, they are just model sensitivities. If I differentiate the output of the model 
y hat with respect to each covariate or variable or independent variable feature. What's interesting is that in effect, this gives us uh, these, these coefficients. So the coefficients in linear regression are the same as the, as, as the Jacobian. And so if we now take our deep neural network, which is a composition of semi-affine functions, if we have activation, so it's a fully algebraic structure, in simplifying cases of all sorts of rich algebraic structure in geometry associated with tropical geometry is one area. And it's certainly not a black box, and we're going to differentiate it exactly with respect to the input, not the weights. So it's not exactly like that propagation. Uh, and we're going to treat the sensitivity as a measure of importance of that, uh, that feature. Now that only works provided that the variables are scaled to start with. Otherwise, you'll, you'll have uh, misinterpretation. So what we're effectively doing is we're not interpreting the individual weights and the biases. This is the, the common misnomer with interpretab interpretability. What does it mean for any particular weight on any edge in the graph? It means nothing really in terms of econ uh, econometrics and, uh, and finance. However, the subgraph created by the derivative does mean something. And that gives you a sense of the sensitivity or the, of the, uh, the variable. Now we can see how this works very quickly. Um, and this is actually linked to the first uh, of the notebooks that I want to show you. And it's called the step test. And if you were to go now to, uh, I'm just going to bear with me while I share the screen or stop the share. I'm going to open up a notebook. So we'll see that appear in a moment. And you should now see a set of notebooks. And I'm going to click on chapter five, interpretability. And you can open, and this is in the Q sandbox, you can open the first one called interpretability. Now, I'm not gonna go into detail in this session. There isn't time. There'll be a pre-recorded session. Um, but the main point of this notebook is to convince ourselves, assuming you know, as a scientist does that nothing works until proven, we're going to apply what's called a step test um, or a simple, a very simple example to convince ourselves that in fact, the results make sense on a known example where the data is generated from a linear model. So going back to, as I said, I will go into much more detail in the pre-recorded session, but essentially the gist of this is to simply start with a known data generation process and then convince ourselves that the interpretability results match the known truth, okay? And compare that with linear regression because linear regression will always be optimal in linear data because of the properties of orthogonal projection. Okay, so I'm gonna go back to uh, the previous uh, slides that I was showing. And Zoom has a habit of putting the most recent one at the very bottom. That's probably not what I want to share. Let's see. Should see. So you should see again the slides. There they are. Okay. And so this is an example of a step test where you generate the known response. Now I mention all this because 
the standard approach to machine learning that I've seen is you download a toolkit, you run with it, you try and win a cattle competition, and then you're done. And that's not how it works in finance. You have to start by first convincing yourself that what, what, it, what the model is doing really makes sense. And so you build up a series of test cases where the behavior is, is that you expect can be easily understood. So in this simple test here, we have two different, and it's a little difficult to read, but if you look at the left here, um, I'm just gonna zoom in so you can see it a little bit better. In the step test, the 10th variable is the most important and the first variable X1 is the least important. And we should see them uh, decremented in terms of their importance. Okay, so this is using the neural network, fully activated deep network to with, I think with one or two layers here um, and, you know, and, and, and I'm comparing it. Now, again, my, my goal here is not to show off the latest, greatest you know, neural network, you know, that anyone can, can take a toolkit and, and add on things. The difficult part is making sense of something and, and reconciling it with existing statistical techniques. Why do we want to do that? Because we want to understand the value out of deep learning at, at a very detailed level. And we don't want to introduce model risk by having a, a model which produces better out of sample results, but actually produces garbage. And you can very easily go wrong with interpretability. Here's two other popular algorithms, slightly outdated, but they were popular in their time. The Garson's and the Olden's algorithm, they get the interpretability results completely wrong. For example, it finds X10, the most important, but then X3, X1, X4, X2, the ordering is completely wrong. Uh, and so, and uh, the, the, the results are, are very misleading. And in fact, in this one, the, the results are not linearly decrementing as well. It's suggesting some, uh, some sort of susceptibility to sample noise. And that's also a, a problem, not just the nature of the network, but the sampling noise in the data. How sensitive is your interpretability to the sampling error? Okay, so um, the notebook that I just showed you actually implements this particular test with two variables where we know the result, it should be one and one. And um, now what we're gonna do is look at the deep learning model itself applied to some real factor data. So there's a toy example, um, which is given in, um, in actually the link at the very beginning. Uh, so the set of examples that you have in the sandbox um, are a slightly simpler problem where it runs much faster, okay? Um, the full problem, which is described in the SIAM paper, is uh, it, it available in the GitHub repository on the front of the slide. That has all the data you need. It's been sanitized uh, so that you can't reverse engineer the symbols because it's licensed by Bloomberg. Uh, and what we've got here are uh, 18 fundamental factors. We've got 31 uh, gigs set to dummy variables. And then what we do is we fit to about 3,290 stocks each period, each monthly period over 30 year periods. And the experimental design is the following. We firstly will perform a training uh, on, on at, the, at a particular time. So it started say T equals one. We have about 3,000, we have about a thousand stocks at any one time, plus or minus some symbols we drop because of missing data. We train on input-output pairs, factor exposures, and, and asset returns, respectively inputs and outputs. And then we test on the next period. That's slightly different from the way that Barra's use. We're gonna use it as a predictive model, not as a risk model. Then we slide the window forward 
and we perform again a cross-sectional training and then testing on the next period. So we're always testing out a sample ahead of the current period. And that gives us a sense of how well the model is at predicting out a sample. Now, again, each period we train a model, we then throw it away. And additionally, we'll cross-validate um, in, in that particular period. So at time t, we'll cross-validate. We won't use all of the pairs of symbol to uh, factor exposures for training. We'll leave some of those out, obviously, uh, using k-fold validation. Again, there is no time component in this other than at the experimental design level. This is not your usual class classification gizmo. Okay, so what are we looking at? Well, why are we using deep learning? Why do we use deep learning? We use it because we want to capture outliers. We want to capture nonlinear effects that can't be captured by existing statistical models. Linear models are very good at capturing linear effects, better than deep learning models if the, if the data is linear. But when there is noise and when there are outliers, linear models perform poorly, even with techniques like lasso. So what we're going to do here is we're going to use uh, an L-infinity norm. We're going to measure the error uh, in the, across all the assets at each time period. Okay? And then we're going to move it across. And we'll see that the neural network estimation error out of sample is uh, lower than with lasso, which is essentially uh, using shrinkage to throw away some of the, the input variables that don't matter. Uh, and it's certainly a lot better than OLS. So it's almost half the error uh, on average. And of course, you can see great big spikes in OLS. Uh, here, this is a, a, log, a, a base 10 log scale. And, um, and so clearly, the neural network is actually capturing these outliers. Now, I'll give the details about what the factors are and so on in a moment. Uh, I don't have a great deal more time. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to spend um, my time explaining why we use deep learning and what it is that we want to, to the insight we want to get that's useful for portfolio management. Again, you're not done in finance with a Kaggle style narrative. You get a model, it performs well out of sample, you beat some other random forest, then you go home. We, then you put it on your resume, then you go home. Here, uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to convince ourselves that this actually leads to, to better profits, better portfolio performance if you use um, the factors as signals, okay? And that's a common practice in investment management. So what we're going to do in this simple example is we're going to uh, try to understand uh, the estimation error and where it comes from, including most of the estimation errors coming from these outliers. There are three dates in particular um, where there, is, there are their outliers. They don't seem to correspond to any particular macroeconomic events that I can find, um, but um, that's, we'll, we'll look at that in a moment. Okay, so the L infinity norm overall periods is shown in parentheses. It's a factor of two X smaller for the network. And I'm not tuning the network and finding the optimal setup here. I'm merely uh, trying to, uh, I think I've used a hundred neurons and I've used just two layers. You, know, you could obviously improve on this. Now I will say more about the choice of activation because you need sufficient smoothness in order to differentiate the network. And if you use ReLU, you lose the interaction effects. You will no longer have con a continuous uh, second derivative. You will end up with a singularity in the second derivative and you need to take the second derivative to measure the interaction effects. Again, if you're coming from computer science, a lot of this isn't gonna make any sense. 
because we're dealing with terminology which comes from planets. Interaction effects, for example, is a common measure to understand how features couple together pairwise. And it's often used to understand the, uh, the limitations of hedging of portfolios against uh, various different fundamental factors. And I don't have time to go into fundamental factors. Grinold and Kahn's book is excellent for that. I'm just going to merely talk about the portfolio performance. So let's now select, let's predict the top performing stocks in each period over a 10 year horizon. Okay, so what I mean by that more precisely is I look at each month, I look at the next period and I find that the top predict, top stocks with the highest predicted performance in any monthly period. I then repeat and repeat again over a 10 year period. In this case, the most recent 10 year period in the data set, uh, which is about 2008 to 2018, okay? And what we're trying to show here is the, how the information ratio compares with OLS and with neural networks. We want a high information ratio. The information ratio is a risk adjusted return. It's the sharp ratio modified uh, so that it, it is the excess return over the index, in this case, the Russell 1000. And it's divided by the standard deviation of the portfolio returns. So it's risk adjusted return. It's a standard measure in asset management. There are many others, trainers, uh, Sharp, et cetera. Uh, so reason why this is important because it shows the implications of deep learning on a portfolio with real data. And whether you pick the top 10 stocks or the top 15 and, put, and construct your portfolio from those top performing stocks, it doesn't matter. The neural network is always performing best. Um, I, I say ReLU gives the best result, but unfortunately ReLU has some limitations in terms of interpretability. So we're gonna see a trade-off between interpretability and performance. The network we really want to use is the one with the 10H activation that has slightly lower performance, still outperforms the, the linear models. And those are significant results compared to, I mean, the, they are uh, non-trivial results. I shouldn't say significant. Uh, and these are, we also see some random noise. If I just randomly select a portfolio, we'll see a little bit of positive bias there indicating um, some uh, <clears throat> maybe bias when I filtered out the, the data to remove missing values. But the most important part here is that um, we're seeing the effects here of 10H versus ReLU. Why does ReLU outperform 10H? That I don't know, okay? But what I can tell you is that the, um, it could be there are, you know, there are theoretical results for ReLU actually um, that show that it has strong expressibility. Um, those are difficult if, if not unknown for 10H. Um, so there, are some, there is some theory to support ReLU, but remember ReLU is not uh, going to give us uh, continuous interaction effects. So we lose some of the interpretability with ReLU. And again, we have to trade off that. We can live with uh, essentially a discontinuous first derivative and you know, essentially try to uh, use something like a soft ReLU or a soft plus function, which is an asymptotic approximation to ReLU, which is smooth. And that's actually the way to proceed. So what we do in the code, in fact, is we use, uh, we, we'll use an example of a soft plus function to uh, approximate the ReLU function uh, to uh, asymptotically. So it's smooth, but we still get the, uh, the performance of the ReLU. Now I'm gonna 
just finish up with a few more slides and hand over to Igor. Um, and the, so the information ratios are evaluated for equally weighted portfolios with varying numbers of stocks. Um, and I've shown that I've also shown the base case, which is if I just randomly select some stocks, what's the portfolio performance? There should always be a baseline, which is the random, uh, the random uh, <clears throat> signal. And then the incremental value of a linear model or the best industry practice. Admittedly here, it's, you know, this is a bit of a straw man model. It's certainly not uh, the, the, the type of uh, production grade that you'll see at, a, at an asset management firm. This is a research study, um, but it is uh, you know, uh, sort of representative in, in terms of the feature composition somewhat uh, and the, certainly the experimental design. Okay, so what I'm trying to show here is that um, you know, there are sizable improvements, not just in terms of out sample performance, but in terms of the portfolio performance. And that's ultimately the bottom line when it comes to financial modeling. And we now need to understand and explain. And we're going to spend the remaining time here now uh, explaining from in, in, a in, the, in the financial sense, and then we'll explain in the statistical sense that's more commonly associated with machine learning and statistics. So I want to understand here, what is driving the performance of the portfolio? Now let's first start by looking at the sector compositions, which deep, the deep learning approach and the linear regression model pick. And we'll see that they're, 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 you know, in some cases they're quite similar, but in any one period, the, the, the weightings of the portfolios, so the, the weighting here is shown on the y-axis, x-axis is the time. Financials always turns out to be the most dominant sector in the portfolios, whether it's linear or whether it's um, OLS. But we'll see in some cases that those two numbers are, are you know, quite similar in the mean, but they are clearly different when you look at the, the actual sort of distributions here, when you look at the values. And I've indicated where that giant uh, outlier is as well. And we're gonna take a look at that because that's where you remember the OLS had a, a, an outlier and the, the deep learning model was able to capture that. Um, and if you look at the sector tilts on an outlier date, we'll, we'll actually see very little. So what's capturing the outlier has got nothing to do with the, the, uh, the sector uh, composition. Um, and, uh, and, and indeed there's nothing interesting there that the deep learning model uh, picks up on in terms of um, in terms of the, uh, the different sectors. Okay, so what we're trying to do now is go deeper. So we've looked at the sector tilts. Let's look at the factor tilts. Now these are why these, the Y scale here has been rescaled um, for, for data sort of sanitization reasons, um, but we'll see book to price being the most important. Uh, and we'll see as well, significant differences in the mean and standard deviation of parentheses of these um, factor tilts. Now, these are, you should compare these relatively and not an absolute, uh, but it shows here there's quite a bit of difference between the linear and the deep learning model in terms of which factors are the most important and, uh, and also how variable they are over time. And again, when we look at the factor tilts on the outlier date, we'll see now there's quite a bit of difference and your network is really picking up on some different factors uh, in this case, uh, sales is, is significantly higher in neural networks, as is market cap. Uh, these abbreviations for fundamental factors are going to be in the next slide. So book to price, cash flow to price. These are all standard 
um, fairly standard uh, fundamental factors. The details of these are in, um, uh, in the paper. Uh, so exactly how you define these. And there's, of course, a whole industry craft to how you do that. Uh, you can call that feature engineering if you like, um, but we don't do the feature engineering here. We assume these features come ready-made uh, as these factors. Okay, so finally, the fact sensitivities and, and over to Igor. We've got uh, OLS here, comparing deep neural networks with OLS. And this is looking at the, um, the features which are the most uh, commonly in uh, appearing in the top um, set of 15 assets that are ranked by their importance, so sensitivities. And we're seeing here that um, these, you know, that what you take away from the moment is that they, they are different. The codings are actually given in the paper. So five is obviously very helpful, but, um, but five actually turns out to be uh, EBITDA to, uh, to, to uh, EV, which is the, uh, I think, earnings volatility, earnings variance. And, and so we'll see differences here. And we're trying to measure uh, on average over all the different experiments over time, which features tend to be the most dominant. Remember that in any one period, what's important will vary. And that's why when we look at the results here, we'll see a distribution, candlesticks, what are the most important features? And we'll see a great deal of variability in the deep learning uh, uh, here. It's capturing outliers, remember. So it has a much wider distribution. There's also more uncertainty, uh, and these are ordered from left to right in terms of the most important. And then we're comparing with lasso, and we're comparing with lasso, including interaction effects. So it's actually a quadratic model, and we can see these quadratic pairs here. And interesting enough, the quadratic pairs in the lasso model are far more important than they are in the deep learning. And that's because deep learning doesn't just care about quadratic pairs, it, it has higher order polynomials doesn't give so much weight to the quadratics. Um, and so we're seeing really different interpretations of a deep learning model versus a, a lasso model when you include the interaction effects too. That's how features interact together. So the lasso, because it, we've, we've sort of hardwired it to be only quadratic, is now allocating too much importance uh, to those uh, interaction terms. If we'd added cubic terms or quartic terms, we'd probably see a different story. We don't have to worry about that in deep learning. It's all done for us. The, you know, it's essentially, you can think of deep learning as being some you know, high order polynomial approximation. Okay, so I'm gonna hand over to, to Igor now. Um, and as I said, there are further resources uh, available uh, in terms of the book, chapter five, uh, the paper forthcoming in, in the Siam Journal of Financial Mathematics and several other uh, empirical studies uh, which um, uh, you should definitely read if you find this topic interesting. Thank you for joining us for today's session of the Q Podcast Show. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit us at quantuniversity.com for upcoming events, courses, and to continue the discussion.